All right. Um, well, good morning. If you're not already in a small group, would really, really encourage you to be in one because um, the small groups are doing either scripture reading and or following along with our sermon series. And so both are, are great opportunities to get together with other people from our church and be uh, engaged in that. We're really kind of on week two, so you're a little bit behind. So make sure you figure out how to get in a small group if you're not already uh, in one. Do we have announcements this morning? I honestly don't know. Never really know. We just kind of smooth sailing. No announcements? I don't think, no one gave me any announcements, so I don't think we have anything unless Leslie's got something. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, all right, so I'll speak to a bunch of blank screens because our church apparently doesn't like to show themselves, even though we're the youngest of all the churches. So I guess we have, <laughs> uh, you know, um, vanity um, that young people do have. Um, Brad, so we're speculating that everyone's still in bed because it's rainy today. <laughs> no, I mean, this is how it is normally, uh, pretty much. So it's fine, whatever. I don't want to see you. Um, yeah, so we're continuing on in Isaiah, and we've, we've kind of switched up the uh, order of the sermon series. We're going to do um, basically one passage from Isaiah, and then on the next Sunday, talk about what we think could be applicable, uh, kind of a, a, an issue going on in our country. Today, we'll be talking about police brutality, uh, which is obviously a topic that uh, people have discussed most recently at length. We're going to hit it from a little bit of a different angle, because our goal is not to just talk about it, uh, to talk about it, to talk about it from uh, what we talked about last week on Isaiah. So if you remember uh, in the passage uh, that, um, that we read last week, Isaiah 7 and 2 Kings 16, Ahaz kind of keeps his options open with God. He says, you know, well, God says, don't worry about those two smoldering stubs of firewood from the north, Syria and the northern kingdom. They're not going to be able to, to come against you. Uh, Ahaz was like, eh, I don't know about that. So he was like, I'm not going to test you, God, even though God tells him to. And then he decides to go and um, actually reach out directly to the Assyrian king who comes and actually takes over the, the two northern kingdoms. We're going to continue on with that story today. but. Remember, the thing that we talked about last week was when we don't listen to God, we listen to the wrong people. And uh, we often uh, will take those voices and sort of run with them. We have a very similar point next week, um, but it's slightly different. You know, we don't seek help from God. We seek help from others. And that'll be based on the, uh, the Isaiah 30 passage uh, from next week. So hopefully you're reading along. Um, I gave you a, a homework assignment too, kind of, uh, more like a devotional. Uh, if you read Isaiah 8 and kind of think through uh, some of uh, why it is uh, that we listen to other voices other than God's, and what does it look like to really hear uh, God's voice in others, which is the vast majority of the words that we hear. And so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more today, obviously, as we practically apply these things. So I want to start off just with a few kind of thoughts, and then we're going to take some time at the end to group up and, and talk a little bit about so, so what do you know about all this police brutality stuff? You know, is it, is it kind of the shallow knowledge and statistics that you can kind of rattle off hand? Uh, do you have a real in-depth kind of knowledge about what's going on um, in uh, our society at the current, but also sort of historically? So let me rattle off a few that I've heard a lot of lately and then kind of counter some of them. The same number of blacks and whites are killed each year by police. Um, except for the fact that there are five times more whites in our society, 
which means blacks are between two and three times more likely to be shot by a police officer than a white person is. So like so many uh, pieces of information and statistics, we people kind of know one half of it. And we got to remember that God deals in truth and reality. And uh, if we're going to learn truth uh, from him, we've got to be willing to address what are the issues and be very careful not to uh, talk about stuff that we haven't really fully understood. Or if we do, talk about in a really humble way. Uh, or maybe you've heard about black on black crime, as it's sometimes called, uh, which is sort of not the PC term for that anymore. Uh, you know, it's more likely than other any other type of racial group on racial group crime except that blacks are much more likely to be in poverty than any other group, regardless of the fact, and I think this is important, that they have almost the same educational attainment, at least at the high school level, than whites do, and are far more educated than Latinos are, and yet uh, deal with poverty at a higher rate than even Latinos do. And crime and poverty often go hand in hand, uh, as we'll talk about in two weeks when we talk about politics. Um, so this BLM movement, Black Lives Matter movement, ah, so you believe in it, that's great, it's awesome. I think, honestly, it's a movement directed by God himself, I have no doubt. But is the movement and the organization really the same? The Black Lives Matter movement is just as pro-transgender and queer ideology as it says it's disruptive of the traditional nuclear family. So are statements and stances about race, gender, sexuality all the same? Or sometimes is it easy to lump them and convenient to lump them all together if you have a generally left-leaning platform? And so after all, and this is just sort of a caveat, blacks are more likely as a race to disapprove of gay marriage than any other racial or ethnic group, albeit they are the most likely to recognize that the gay community experiences significant discrimination. So I say that to just say, sometimes we listen to voices and listen uh, to people, and we're really not dealing with reality. We're dealing with a partial or piece of reality. And I think if there's one um, sort of scene in the scripture to go back to, it's the serpent, uh, the devil, uh, who deals in partial realities to get people to act and behave in a way that's very different than the way God intended uses God's very words to, dis to distract and uh, ultimately lead them to disobey. Let's talk about another idea. Maybe you believe that defunding the police will work, but what exactly does that mean? Because <laughs> it doesn't seem that everyone is even on the same page with that. And considering we have only one city in the U.S. to do it officially, I don't think we have too many examples of what that might listen to, uh, or what that might um, actually look like. All right, so who are you listening to? God deals in realities, not in biased perceptions or partial information or fake and oversimplified news. God deals in the truth about who people are created to be and what is actually going on in the world. And the question that we have to ask as a result of that is, do we? Do we do the same? Do we deal with reality and the truth, the truth as God sees it and as it is, or do we deal with our own truths and are pretty satisfied to understand those? So I think the two sticking points on this police brutality issue uh, that I want to talk about today and then get you guys to kind of talk about with each other are this idea of systemic or structural or systematic racism and the idea of what lives actually matter. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about both of these and let's talk about them directly from the scripture. So we go back 
to pro, uh, I'm going to uh, mention this in a, a, a moment, Isaiah 28, 9 through 13. I'm not going to put it up there. So if you'll just kind of turn there, uh, I want to point out something that happens during this interim period between Ahaz allowing Assyria in and the Northern Kingdom ultimately being destroyed. So it's Isaiah 28, 9 through 13. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of systemic anything, all right? Systemic doesn't mean that everyone is bad. That's probably the first part of this. I mean, when a system becomes fully corrupt, like what we see in um, Isaiah and in the other prophets, uh, God basically says there's no hope and you're going to be destroyed. So let's hope our system isn't 100% corrupt. Um, because God might not act in the world uh, like he does in the Old Testament, although I do believe he does, but some would maybe argue with that idea. Uh, we would be in big trouble if our system uh, of policing in our country was 100% corrupt, right? But I do want to make the point that in the prophets and in Isaiah, that is actually what's going on. Think about the famous story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Abraham's like, let me just find 50 people that are good. God's like, he's like, okay, well, what about 10? What about five? It keeps going down and ultimately can't find anybody but two. And they're not even that great. And they're his, you know, uh, relatives. That is when a system has become cor completely corrupt. God's judgment comes on. So um, a system isn't completely bad. It means everyone, though, is desensitized often to certain bad behaviors. Okay? That means that bad behaviors are allowable because they're a part of the system and it can be easy to just simply ignore them. And that's what's really going on with police brutality. We don't have a whole lot of bad cops. We have some bad cops who are taking their power of ultimate capital punishment and doing it with relatively no accountability from departments, from other police officers. And that's a problem. Okay, it's a problem not because the system is messed up, but because a system is a system and and it's sort of meant for our good. But like any system, when you don't put laws into place in particular, like we're going to talk about from this Isaiah passage or the culture isn't built up in a way that people actually care and do what's right and that there's an accountability aspect to that then bad people sort of get away um, with, with very bad behaviors. One of the most famous books on this topic is written by Hannah Arndt, and I reference it all the time. And if you really want a tearjerker, not just kidding, it's not. It's basically a, a, a legal book, um, and it's awful and will make you feel bad. But it's just called The Banality of Evil, and she goes through and watches the court case of one of the top um, men in the um, – a concentration camp uh, kind of overseeing them and just talks about what a decent guy he is. But he gets caught up in a system that just ignores, um, you know, the good of other people. He's so high up, he didn't have a real good sense of, uh, of what was actually going on. And he just talks about how evil often is banal. It's people just ignoring what ought to have been done. Someone stepping up, someone saying something. And I think that's the biggest problem that we have right now in our policing system. Uh, is that a, a, some bad apples sort of get by with this code of silence and or inability for 
the normal law courts to, to expect of them what they would expect of a normal citizen in terms of justice. Okay, so another way of putting this is that most aren't bad, but most don't care about the some that are bad. <laughs> okay, I think that's a very decent way of talking about, um, about systems. Okay, and so what ends up happening, and uh, someone want to read Isaiah 28, 9 through 13? Because something very similar has happened uh, in Isaiah in regard to oppressing poor people and not giving um, innocent people their day in court. So if you read Isaiah 9 through 13, and this is a little, takes a little bit of unpacking, but, uh, but we'll talk about it. Go ahead, whoever wants to read it. I'll do it. All right. Uh, Isaiah 28, 9 through 13. To whom will, <clears throat> to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people, to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. I want to read that a couple more times. One, maybe not like the ancient first century Bible version that Justin's reading. Um, just kidding, Justin. <laughs> Someone read the message and then maybe NIV. Let me give you a little backstory as we read this again. So God is actually speaking through Isaiah here to, uh, to say and respond to the people who've been saying, Isaiah, why are you trying to take us back to these basic laws? Are we a bunch of kids? We don't need this stuff. Think about um, Hebrews or 1 Corinthians where it talks about, you know, weaning off of uh, milk and baby food and actually eating solid food. And they're basically complaining about this idea, like give us solid food, give us something to really um, you know, chew on and think about. And Isaiah keeps saying, all I'm going to give you is the basics because you don't even know how to do the basics with people. You don't even know how to treat people decently, fairly. So now I'm going to have to continue to give you the basic laws and add more laws on top of more laws on top of more laws. And that's all you're going to get from me until you can understand what the spirit of these laws are and not just more um, you know, uh, the things that you're actually doing. So I want to read that a couple more times, maybe, uh, so NIV and then the message. What is the scripture again? Isaiah 28, 9 through 13. I have the NIV. Right. <clears throat> Who is it he is trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? To children weaned from their milk? To those just taken from the breast? For it is, do this, do that. A rule for this, a rule for that. A little here, a little there. Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to, his pe to this people, to whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest, and this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. So then, the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that. A little here, a little there, so does that so that as they go, they will fall backward, they will be injured and snared and captured. 
I'll read the message. Yeah. Okay. Is that so? And who do you think you are to teach us? Who are you to lord it over us? We're not babies in diapers to be talked down to by such as you. Da, 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 blah, 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 blah. That's a good little girl. That's a good little boy. But that's exactly how you will be addressed. God will speak to this people in baby talk, one syllable at a time, and he'll do it through foreign oppressors. He said before, this is the time and place to rest, to give rest to the weary. This is the place to lay down your burden, but they won't listen. So God will start over with the simple basics and address them in baby talk, one syllable at a time. Da, 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 blah, 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 blah. That's a good little girl. That's a good little boy. And like toddlers, they will get up and fall down get bruised and confused and lost. So the message is often a great resource when you've got uh, Hebrew that is tricky. And this blah, 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 blah thing is exactly what uh, uh, the Isaiah the prophet is doing when he talks like this. If you look at the Hebrew words, it's la, la, la. It's basically rhyming words that still mean laws and precepts. And he's basically kind of chiding them with this, um, with this statement. So I think this is a, an amazing scripture, in my mind, that talks about what's going on in our current police brutality situation. People have gone to the point where they can't treat Blacks in particular with any kind of human dignity, and so they need the basic laws and policies that we should have had in place from the beginning. Don't put someone in a chokehold. Don't shoot someone who's running away from you. Just basic ideas about justice that they've lost. And what's so interesting about this passage is, if you notice what God says, if you're not going to listen to it from your own people, I'm going to send a foreign people among you who will show you what the laws are. (laughs) If you don't draw a distinction to what's going on today with that passage, uh, I won't uh, hold it against you. Um, But uh, I definitely think that's a powerful passage for us to think through. These people needed the basics written out for them because their systems had failed to protect and and, um, the people who they needed to, the most vulnerable, and were simply showing favoritism uh, to the people who already, uh, you know, had the protection from their society. So improving systems starts with recognizing that everyone is not treated the same within them. And I think this is a really important part of systems is when you have so many people and so many uh, moving parts, uh, people just don't get treated the same within the system. And I think we continue understanding systems when we recognize that they usually don't encourage much independent thought. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, If our brains had to like process, um, let's just say, how to put on our clothes as much as we have to process, you know, uh, major decisions about where to go to school or who to marry or things like that. We would never really do much other than get out of bed probably halfway through the day. Systems are meant like our brain to actually make some of these decisions easier and move through things quicker so that we can get them accomplished. And this, you know, these people who are anarchists who want to get rid of all of our systems and replace them with other systems makes me laugh, but we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, but they're supposed to be helpful. But often they don't encourage people to think independently about what's going on. It's much better for you to just stick with the system and stay inside of it rather than stick out because as soon as you stick out, you have a target on your back uh, 
on, um, you know, on, on what, uh, you know, how are you going to do this better? Do you have some better proposal or whatever else? And we end in, in terms of improving systems with empowering people who aren't treated the same to speak up against those who have mostly fallen asleep. Uh, and I think this is a big part of what, what we're trying to do now in our society with police brutality is we're trying to empower people who aren't treated the same to speak up against all those people who more or less aren't paying attention and aren't thinking about this independently. They're just sold on the system itself and will do anything to protect the system without really trying to improve it. Now, of course, it doesn't help that sometimes the voices are ones that are saying silly and stupid things like let's get rid of the entire thing and start over as if that's really number one even possible or two a very good idea um but we have to understand in regard to systems is we our goal in trying to improve a system is empowering those people who are treated differently within those systems to speak up against how the system impacts and affects them and that is what's going on in our society right now. We're finally starting to listen to black people who say this system of policing, among other things, doesn't treat us the same as it treats other citizens. And are we going to listen to it? Are we going to understand? Are we going to continue to enjoy and um, protect the system over how that system impacts or affects people? Or are we going to actually pay attention uh, to what people are doing? and how people experience this. So um, I'm not going to lie. I have a couple times in my rebellious years pulled up to a police officer. And now again, I want to remind you, I have only had good experiences uh, from police officers. But multiple times, just out of some sick, rebellious bone in my body, pulled up next to a police officer put my windows down and played some NWA. I'm not going to lie. I've done it at least two or three times. Some of you who don't know NWA, um, yeah, you know, just done that. They have some songs about police. This was my younger years. I thought I was very, very cool. Um, but, you know, the irony about so much of that is it seems like it's very much playing into this other narrative that's a system, a systemic way of thinking, which is get rid of police, all police are bad. Um, you know, some of these chants at the protests, which are basically just F the police, <laughs> that's not even original, but really you're gonna walk up to random police officers who you don't know, who you don't understand what they're doing, and you're going to basically use the most intense a word that we have. Um, that, how is that going to help? I mean, I understand that it voices your anger, and uh, maybe you feel it's justified, but I think the irony about this is this is just a systemic way of dealing with this systemic racism. Let's just all get together and all believe that all police are bad and get rid of them entirely. Um, and our best uh, um, you know, substitute is we're gonna have community health workers do policing. What does that even mean? If I hear that idea again, uh, I might go mad. Uh, what does it mean the community health a priest or a social worker is going to pull someone over for a taillight infraction? What, what does that mean? Or a police officer is going to call a healthcare worker or a priest and they're going to come deal with the taillight inspection? Yes, to me, that's, that screams of replacing one system with another system. And rather than improving the system, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. 
uh, and so many anger-based ideas, particularly that lack experience, are often not very righteous ideas, okay? Um, they're often um, an, a chance to, to be mad, get revenge, quick revenge, and then burn everything down like Wendy's, and then nothing is in its place. Uh, and that just, even that whole scenario, that white lady who burned down Wendy's, like I don't even, it's a perfect example of the idea that we're going to somehow, what did Wendy's do? I don't, did they call? I, maybe they called, and if so, maybe they have a burden um, in this whole shooting thing for the, from the man that was sleeping in his car. I'm not really for sure, but we're, we're often simply trying to get rid of one system and replace it with another. And if we're part of a system, we're not doing much independent thinking. And at some point, that system will be like any others, and it will show favoritism. Is that what we really want in our society? Do we want systems uh, that show favoritism to a new group of people? Or do we want to improve the system so that it doesn't show favoritism? And is that even possible and how we have to think about that? I'm not at all invalidating people who haven't had direct experience with police brutality and are simply just angry because this may affect them in ways that aren't direct. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying often when we have, and I'm particularly talking, like I talked about last week, some of these very, very loud and white, uh, violent liberal voices um, that are often sort of over-rotating uh, in order to feel like they're a part of something. Um, and uh, I think we have to be careful there. So my application for this, real quickly, because we're going over, and this one was pretty hard to tackle. So anyway, um, in order to, to sort of get past this independent thought thing, um, uh, lack of independent thought, and be able to actually listen, we have got to start listening to people, really listening. And we've talked about this more times, and we're going to keep talking about it. Old, young, African, black, um, people who have ideas, people who have experiences in these things, poor, rich, Christian, Muslim, uh, God speaks to reality and truth. Uh, and we've got to ask ourselves, where are our thoughts coming from? And could it be a system of thought that we're ultimately listening to uh, on both sides or all sides of this issue? Is this a system of thought or is the thought ultimately coming from people's real lived experiences uh, and, uh, and, and understanding the truth and reality that God ultimately deals with? So the next passage is quite a bit easier. Um, we'll run through that a little bit quicker. Luke 15, we're probably not going to read it because it's so long. Um, but I want to tackle this idea of all lives matter. Okay. And so in Luke 15, as you're turning there, you can definitely reference it, read through it. There, this is sort of the parable of a bunch of things that are lost, right? From coins to sheep to ultimately the prodigal son. And I have to admit that I... I haven't talked to enough, um, I think, white, conservative, uh, particularly men who um, believe in this sort of all lives matter stuff. And so I don't I wouldn't say that I'm very prepared uh, to address some of their concerns and ideas. I honestly have a really tough time figuring out why people are saying that. <laughs> Uh, just to be honest, um, I mean, I understand that it's important for us to believe that all lives matter, and certainly God cares about all lives, but doesn't he go after those who are less cared for over and over and over again in the scripture? And 
to my understanding of the Black Lives Movement has very little to do with trying to say that Black lives are more important than anybody else's, but simply that Black lives in our society have always been um, uh, looked down upon, have always been less important than other lives. Uh, Whether we believe that in our ideas or not, in practice, that's how Black people have been treated in our society. And so uh, while I certainly believe that God cares about all lives, I think it's very clear from the scripture that God um, particularly pays attention to those who need him and are willing to go, is willing to go away from those all lives and specifically focus on, on people who really, and not even need him, but also are more uh, attuned to what it is he's doing. And uh, I think that's really important. Hopefully you got a chance to read some of those articles I posted this week, but if not, um, some of them are really, really great. Uh, talking in particular about the black church and it's importance in our history and in just some of the struggles they faced before God. So even in um, this beginning part of the passage where <laughs> Jesus is getting chided for spending time with a group that no one else thought he would spend time with, his remark to them in Luke 5 was, I didn't come to, you know, um, uh, I came to heal the sick uh, and, uh, and those who needed me, not uh, to those who didn't. So I'm certainly not comparing black and white lives here to uh, sort of the prodigal son and, uh, and to sinners. I'm not calling black people sinners. Well, I mean, we're all sinners. There is something you could say for all lives. All people are sinners. But I very well may be calling white people Pharisees and the way that we have often neglected um, people in our world that really matter and particularly in our society that matter and wonder why all of a sudden are people caring about this group? Shouldn't Jesus be with this other group instead? And uh, I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, For a long time, evangelicals have looked down on the black church and have not really participated uh, much with it. Uh, or um, respected it much for its very uh, wide-ranging theology, something that is very lacking in the evangelical church, I believe. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, not to mention the black church was basically started because blacks were not allowed into uh, white places, just like the sinners and tax collectors weren't allowed into the temple of God. There's some comparisons there. Principle of God cares about us all, but goes to who need and accept him. Uh, black people need him and accept him more than anyone else right now in our society, in American society, I believe. And I want to say both of those things. Uh, accept him more and I uh, need him more. And I, I think I want you to think about that for a moment. I'm exaggerating that a little bit, but I don't think too much. So do you notice disadvantage uh, in our society? I mean, do you really? Do you notice disadvantage? Uh, could you list off five or six or seven ways that you have at least theoretically understood disadvantage? Or in particular, have you noticed it? Do you see it around you? Um, I think this is a really important question. Do we notice disadvantage? Or have we kind of believed the lie that white, wealthy America sort of propagated for a long time, which is everybody more or less is treated the same and everybody has the same opportunity? Um, I should say white, wealthy, Protestant America. Um, do you really notice disadvantage? Is it something that you are attuned to? Because if you don't, it may be much harder for you to find where God is working. If God leaves the sheep 
and the 99 and goes to the one and you're just ha having a merry happy time around the 99 then you may fail to re realize and recognize what God is doing, which is really exactly the story of the prodigal son when you think about it. The older brother is just absolutely annoyed and mad at his dad for going out and, and rescuing the son. And in some ways, there's some, uh, you know, it, that story's always been challenging to me, but we can very much uh, fit into that older brother syndrome when we're talking about the prodigal son. I'm mad that certain people are getting attention, getting attention that we think they don't deserve or whatever else. Do you notice the lives in our society that don't seem to matter in practice? Or are you too busy trying to show that all lives matter in theory? And I think this is a really important rhetorical question that you've got to ask yourself. Uh, is too many people are talking about all lives matter, but in practice, not really showing. And that's what you get here uh, in Isaiah 29, if you read on. And I would love for you to reflect on that Isaiah 28, 9 through 13 verse, because I think it's important. But Isaiah 29 is one of the most popular passages from Isaiah. It's one that Jesus quotes uh, that, you know, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Um, they worship me in vain. Their rules are merely rules taught by humans. And uh, I think this is an important kind of thinking question. Um, do we really notice the lives that don't matter in practice around us? Or are we too busy trying to show that all lives matter in theory? So we're going to take 10 minutes here to end off and probably just do random breakouts because that's way better than trying to figure out who wants to do what. I just have two questions for you. We'll probably, I guess we'll just send that. I didn't prepare, so I don't know how to send it exactly. You can spend more or less time on one or the other. It's up to you. But the first question is, is, is what ways, in what ways is your thinking systemic? That's it's programmed, not independent, and doesn't consider how it may show favoritism to some. So in what ways is your thinking pretty systemic? Uh, and this is a really hard question, just like the first part of the sermon is kind of hard. And so if this is a harder question and you can't really think through it, you can just move on to the second one. And uh, this one's, do you agree or disagree with the idea that sometimes God has more concern for some who need it? And can you think of any examples? Explain that. Um, and I think a follow-on question to that is, what does it look like to really notice disadvantage, to notice who's God? who God has more concern for any time. Because I guarantee you, if the people of Israel would have turned around and actually paid attention to the oppressed, the fatherless, um, the widow, they would have turned the tides on what had, had gone on in their society. But the problem is they had been doing it for so long that it had gotten so bad that they hadn't even recognized it anymore, uh, and which ultimately led to their um, being exiled. So we'll put those questions up somewhere. I'll probably just put, I'll text, copy and paste them in the uh, chat and then whoever's doing the breakout rooms, uh, you guys can send those and we'll just take about 10 minutes and then we'll come back together, all right? See you soon. Just uh, okay. five or 10 minutes and just sort of share some thoughts with each other about uh, this conversation and um, uh, whether it's questions or challenges or encouragements, whatever it is. Yeah, with the um, with the second question, Chelsea kind of took up all our time because she talks so much. Seriously? But um, <laughs> listen, that sixty seconds left notification came out of nowhere. Okay, was that the know, yeah. shortest breakout session we've ever had? Yeah, <laughs> but I was I was just saying, like with that second question, like right off the bat, like hearing that, I was like, yeah, like one hundred percent, I agree that God cares for those that are. Uh, disadvantaged or um you know he 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 leaves the 99 and he goes for that one and i'm like you know right off the bat 
Um, but Chelsea brought up a really good point that, you know, God doesn't love like we do. Like his per- his love is perfect, unlike our He's able to love all of us infinitely well. I was like, damn, I didn't even think about that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that was a really cool point. Did you just say damn? What? Did you say man or damn? No, I don't I don't think I said either of those things. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you can stay then. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just want to mention one thing though too, and I think this is an important idea. You know, when we talk about Jesus going to the disadvantaged, he certainly did, but he he still treated them with the dignity of letting them choose him or not. It's not like he was going to a captive audience and saying, Well, these people have nothing to live for. They'll probably be religious and follow me. And I think mm-hmm. when we co- make that comparison to blacks in our society, we've got to be very careful that we're not saying, oh, poor black people, they're disadvantaged and, you know, they need Jesus. No, they get Jesus because they've accepted him on the whole more than any other, I think, group as a, you know, um, race or ethnicity, at least statistically speaking. And that's that's a big deal. Now, that it could be because of disadvantage sometimes that we are even open to Jesus. But I think that's really important. We don't want to ever take the dignity away from Jesus spending time around poor people, not because it was some fertile field, but because they often have the humility to accept what he was doing. And that's the whole healing this, the, you know, uh, here for the lost, here for uh, the people who are sick. So I just want to make sure that both of those things are kind of put together, because I think that's probably a story that is mostly lost in white churches today is that, uh, you know, um, black religious participation and prayer and all those things far surpass any other racial group. Um, and I I'm, I'm just want to remind that, that that's the truth and reality. Not to say that that somehow everybody has lumped into that, because that certainly isn't the case, uh, or that we should not listen to people who aren't. Uh, but anyway, other thoughts, encouragements, challenges? I guess, I guess I'll say one thing. Um, which I'm Anthony, for those that don't know me, I haven't been to, I've been bad, I've been to DNC, seen the car, so I apologize for that. But um, I think what's maybe like an, that I think, not talking about there, I'll briefly summarize it, is that kind of growing up in like a white evangelical sort of Protestant sort of upbringing, um, the idea of complacency and the idea of like, you know, God will bring whoever he wants into our church and not really reaching out. Um, when I first joined Focus, that that completely shattered my idea of what outreach looks like. Like it wasn't necessarily big projects or big events or like even having food or being like looking super entertaining. It was more like when I came to Focus, it was just relational. It was more like find that one person that you, that God is calling you to like talk to and befriend them and be a friend to them. And just show love to them because your love is a proclamation of Christ. And I think I I say that as a reminder to myself because I have forgotten that. And I think with what's going on with quarantine, what's going on with in our nation right now, I think that's the biggest thing to remember is that it's really easy to get lost in the big idea. We have to rewrite the whole system, but we never think about trying to start on the individual level and kind of like, just find that one person that we think is lost and ask God what to do and let him kind of lead the way. And I think that that's something that focus has done really well. That's what a lot of my friends have done very well. And I think that's something to remind ourselves 
going forward after this, but that's just something I want to encourage and just say that like, that's something we can still do. And I, uh, you know, I think it's being raised the way I've been raised. Um, the Caucasian, you know, we put down every kind of race. I, I thought about the Indians. We took over their country. We put in reservations. I mean, if you ever go, to, if you ever been into a reservation, I have. You've seen how we've treated the the Indians, the native borns. It, it's it's just it's awful how we how we've done them. And then I think about the Hispanics. We still treat the Hispanics as second class people. We still look down on the Hispanics, and you know. All lives matter. The Indians, Hispanics, everything that, as a nation, we have we have looked down to these these different races and people, um, and that's really a shame. And um, as a Christian, we need to not be colorblind or race or anything. We should look at people. It doesn't matter if the race or color is holy. One is no different than the other, and I think that's what Jesus did. And his main concern was, you know, helping the sinners come to know who he was and to understand what love is really all about. And um, that's what I've learned in my life here, um, being a part of this nation. I left everyone speechless. Yep. All that's right. What, uh, that's what I do. That's, that's what, what I do. do. So for uh, this week, <laughs> if you want to reflect on something, I uh, reflect on the Isaiah 28 passage, 9 through 13, but Isaiah 28 and 29 are both really great uh, for trying to understand exactly, um, you know, how laws are meant to ultimately um, keep people from doing uh, the most basic of wrongs and, uh, and how the point of the matter is that we shouldn't need these to ultimately do things. But we do need them when people have become incapable of treating people uh, with the most basic dignity of humanity. And so I think it's, um, you know, it's important just to kind of think through that. It's important to think that, uh, you know, what does it look like for us moving forward to enact and to encourage lawmaking and policymaking that will force people who uh, have grown callous to others uh, and don't treat people with dignity to actually force them to do it. <laughs> uh, because it, at least in this case of police brutality, I very much think we've kind of gotten to that place. There's plenty of other places like that. Um, but when God himself speaks those words of, you guys are, uh, are too indifferent to each other to get anything beyond just the basic laws and basic principles, we need to take that to heart. And I think we need to be um, engaged in making sure that that actually happens. Uh, and so I really would want you to, to read through 28 and read through 29. And what does it look like to be uh, involved with basic policies and legislation that will really make sure that people treat each other with dignity, um, particularly with this police brutality thing? Is it something that we don't talk a lot about, I think, in the church? And we ought to, um, because God was certainly big in lawmaking <laughs> and, uh, and enforcing policies, particularly when people, again, didn't have uh, the basic dignity uh, or, or an understanding of dignity for each other. And while Jesus is the standard, um, uh, sometimes we've got to take baby steps in that direction. 
Uh, and I think that's an important uh, aspect of what we're trying to do right now in our society uh, is in policing, take baby steps towards um, how we would expect uh, our police to treat people. All right, guys, thank you so much. As always, um, uh, we'll be on uh, Hosea, Hosea and Isaiah 30 next week and 2 Kings 17 and talking about the, uh, the relationship they had with, uh, with Egypt. Alrighty, so you can always stick around. I'm going to say a prayer, and then uh, we'll be done. Lord, please, please open up our minds, and more importantly, our eyes, uh, to see uh, the disadvantage in our society, specifically um, among black men and among black women, and ask that you uh, would guide us to the work that you're doing there, and that we would join, uh, no questions asked, we would obey you, and uh, expect um, the treatment of blacks in our society be on par with everybody else and that you would give us um, just an empathy a longing your heart uh, for going after people who need you and accept you and not just being complacent with our own um, experience and the things that uh, that we get we love you lord amen Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.